Gracious God, we are uh, grateful for this morning and grateful that we uh, can open your word together this morning uh, that you have given to us as a precious gift. And I pray, Lord, that uh, these words that we meditate on, that they would um, just infuse into our lives and into our hearts, Lord, that we would hear uh, your message to us. And Lord, if anything I say doesn't resonate with your truth, then let it fall fall on deaf ears this morning. But Lord, I pray that you would, uh, by your spirit, encourage us and challenge us and comfort us this morning by your word. We are grateful God, for who you are and all that you've done for us in Jesus, and it's in his name that we do pray this morning. Amen. Uh, Well, fresh out of seminary, Merrill and I accepted pastoral positions with a church outside of Kansas City, and these positions were a part of a two-year pastoral residency program uh, that this church had, and so we knew that after two years, we would have to find jobs again, and and so we were prepared for that, and you know, entering into that last year of the two-year uh, residency, uh, we began our search for the next place that God was calling us to. Now, our friend Dave, who was in this uh, residency program with us as well, uh, he actually didn't have to search very long. A job sort of fell in his lap, and uh, relatively quickly, he knew where God was calling him, and it was a, a great church in North Carolina that he uh, eventually was called to. And so Merrill and I sort of thought to ourselves, surely the same thing will happen to us. Why not? Uh, Well, the weeks and the months went by and still there were no opportunities that were real obvious where God was leading us. And pretty soon our time was up and we had no job. We had one month left on our lease and no idea what was next for us. This is not at all how we planned this season of our lives, and certainly not how we expected this season to unfold. So with no job, at least running out, and no idea what was in store for us, we could have trusted God in this season, or we could have done our own thing. And to be honest, I think we we did a little bit of both. Um, As our lease was running out, a family in our church offered to have us stay in their basement until we found a job. Uh, And this was not necessarily the family we would have chosen since we had a lot of closer friends in the area, uh, nor was it the living situation we necessarily would have chosen, uh, but we went with it anyway. We expected this to be a short stay. You can do anything for a month or so, right? And so that's what we decided to do, and we accepted uh, their gracious offer. Uh, And really, things did not pan out as quickly as we thought. Uh, We continued to struggle to find permanent jobs and a permanent living situation. Uh, I worked a bunch of odd jobs. Uh, People in the church were hiring me for different things, like contracting work. They had no business doing that, Uh, but but they were gracious. I accepted. I needed the money. Uh, Merrill was working retail, uh, and our savings account was dwindling. Uh, by the week, by the month, eventually down to pretty much nothing. Uh, Meanwhile, this family had two dogs that were certainly old enough to be potty trained, but definitely not smart enough. (laughs) 
Now, I don't, I don't know how many times those dogs used our living space, our closet in particular, uh, as their own porta potty. And how many times they hear a scream from Meryl, ah! Because once again, that either she stepped in it or noticed it. Uh, it was way too many times. So we were out of work and living in this family's basement for over seven months. Do you ever wonder why God works in your life one way and in the lives of other people in different ways? Uh, we were quick to compare our story to our friend Dave's. Why, why did he get a job so quickly, but we had to wait seven months living in a family's basement, uh, you know, saving his account dwindling? We learned some important lessons about God's providence during this season of our lives. You ever heard that term before? Uh, Generally speaking, when we speak of God's providence, it refers to the conviction that God sustains the world that he created. He didn't just create it and set it off on its own, but he sustains it, he cares for it, and he directs it to its appointed destiny. God cares for this world, and he watches over this world, even you and me as his children. And what we learn in this season is that God's providence is mysterious, that we can't always make sense of it from our limited human perspective. And yet we are called to live by faith, taking each step of faith and obedience as they come. Uh, We see God's mysterious providence at work in our passage this morning in Acts 12, albeit in a much more serious and dire situation, comparing the life of James with Peter in this passage. Uh, But let me set the stage for you. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, has been recording one conversion after another at this point in the book. So the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, Saul of Tarsus, Cornelius, and a mixed crowd in Antioch. And we see the word of God spreading from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And Luke is about to describe the first missionary journey uh, where the, the word of God continues to spread to the ends of the earth. But first here in Acts 12, he describes a serious setback as this growing church continues to face persecution. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 12. We'll read the whole thing this morning, but I want us to start Right there in verse 1. This is God's word to us. It's the first five verses. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This is the word of the Lord. The King Herod that we meet here is is Herod Agrippa I. Now, Herod Agrippa is the grandson of King Herod the Great. He's the one that we hear about uh, when the Christmas story. Uh, So he is, uh, so 
Herod the Great ordered the slaughter of any male child under the age of two in an effort to snuff out the, the newborn Jesus. Now, by the time of Acts 12, Agrippa had acquired all the territory that once, that once ruled, that was once ruled by his grandfather. So he was quite powerful by this time. Herod Agrippa is also the nephew of Herod Antipas. And he's the one we read about during the, the trial and death of Jesus. So this family has quite the reputation uh, for persecuting Jesus and his followers. Um, persecution becomes the most intense for the Jerusalem church during the reign of Herod Agrippa I. Agrippa was anxious to preserve the Roman peace in Palestine, so he naturally disliked minorities which threatened to disrupt that. Uh, In keeping with this policy, he tries to get into the good graces of the Jews, and especially the Sadducees, by conscientiously observing the Jewish law and now by persecuting the church. And the first victim that's recorded here is James, the brother of John. He's the first of the original 12 apostles to be killed for his faith in Jesus. Herod doesn't stop there, though. He arrests Peter, throws him in prison, and orders 16 soldiers to guard him. Agrippa is leaving nothing to chance here. He wants to make sure that that Peter is secure and well-guarded. And verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now the word earnestly is the same word used uh, in the prayers of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that should give give us a picture of just how intense this group was praying for Peter in this situation. In both Luke and Acts, the author Luke has a particular interest in prayer. Uh, Here and elsewhere, prayer is closely linked to the progress of the gospel and the protection of gospel messengers. So this should encourage us to pray so that we may see the gospel flourish in our community and throughout the world. And even though God's providence is mysterious, we see how the prayers of God's people matter profoundly in the advancement of the gospel. Well, let's see how those prayers are answered. So verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Well, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your cloak, clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, and he had no idea uh, what the angel was doing uh, was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, 
where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the, door, at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Now in spite of the seeming impossibility of freedom and the extreme likelihood that on the following day he would die, Peter shows no sign of anxiety, let alone alarm. He falls fast asleep. He's defiant of death. Uh, Now, what happened next surely surprised Peter. An angel of the Lord comes, strikes him on the side, removes his shackles, and escorts him out of the prison doors. Now, the text makes clear several times that God intervenes through this angel to rescue Peter. At key points throughout the book of Acts, supernatural deliverance proves necessary for the advancement of the gospel. And this is one of those cases here. Peter goes straight to a house church that he knew well in Jerusalem. The woman answering the door was so surprised to hear Peter's voice that she runs and tells the others and leaves Peter standing outside. The people were amazed and thought that Rhoda, who answered the door, must be crazy. And yet they had been praying intensely and persistently Should they be so surprised that God answered their prayers in this way? God released Peter two other times from prison up to this point. Couldn't he do it again? Maybe a bigger question in your mind is this. Why did God save Peter and yet allow James to die? Both were pillars of the early church. Both were faithful to Christ. It says that the church prayed for Peter, but presumably they prayed for James as well. Yet without explanation, one apostle is executed, but another is rescued. Perhaps God is teaching the church to live with the mystery of the providence of God and to rely afresh in every situation on the mercy and continuing care of God. We have the freedom to pray fervently for physical healing or deliverance, but we must leave it to God to let his sovereignty over a situation be expressed in the way that he thinks is best. What's important is that like James and Peter, we remain faithful and obedient to God regardless of the outcome of a crisis that we may face in our lives. Whatever experiences God's providence allows us to go through, our primary commitment should be to obedience. Uh, Just look at the early church in these verses. All the threats from the outside did not cause them to shrink back on their commitments to proclaim the gospel. Peter experienced a miraculous deliverance while James faced death for the sake of Christ. But the early Christians persevered in obedience, knowing that if God is in control, he can use their obedience to win a great victory for the kingdom of God. 
But the victory is not always clear in the moment, is it? In Acts, Stephen's death led to the growth of the church through the scattering of the seed of God's word. But in James's case, we don't really get any obvious evidence of triumph. Sometimes we don't get to see such a victory in our lifetime. James certainly didn't. In our fast-moving age, we want immediate evidence to feel that the sacrifices we make are worthwhile. But God may reserve that revelation until we get to heaven, which will make it all the more glorious. But until then, we persevere in patience and obedience. Remember our story at the beginning where we were living in a family's basement for seven months? Well, eventually God revealed where he was calling us to. Now, we accepted a call in Springfield, Illinois, with a large church there. And we were excited about, about finally sort of being out of this challenging situation and finally hearing God's call uh, to lead us uh, to this new church. Uh, but without getting into, into too many details, uh, these next two and a half years were the hardest years of our lives that we've ever experienced. A series of indiscretions by the senior pastor led to his dismissal, along with the departure of several staff members, including myself. All the while, the elder leadership team did nothing to address the underlying issues within the church before it all got way out of hand. So several months later, uh, after I had resigned and God had called us out of there, I was in a pretty dark place and still processing that experience and all that we had been through as a family. And I was starting my new position here at First Cove. And I met with a counselor who asked a very pointed question. He said, how do you feel about the fact that God called you to that church knowing that you and your family would suffer? And here's where the mysteries of God's providence come into play. We sometimes think that God's role in our lives is to make us happy, to make life go well for us. And then when it doesn't, we can question whether or not God really cares for us. But when we start going there in our minds and in our theology, we can become myopic, even self-centered in our understanding of life and faith. Thinking that God exists to meet my needs, to make my life flourish. We live in a fallen world, so life is not always going to go well for us. We don't always uh, get things the way that we want them to go. Uh, Life doesn't always work out the way we expect it. And as followers of Jesus, we exist to bring honor and glory to God regardless of how our lives turn out. And we don't always get to see immediate evidence that what we're doing in life, that our sacrifices are worthwhile. Uh, We don't always see immediate evidence um, that our painful circumstances and how they might fit into the bigger picture of our lives or what God is doing in all of creation. So when this person asked me, how do you feel about the fact that God called you to that church knowing that you and your family would suffer I thought about it for a moment. And my answer to this counselor's question was this. That if God called the prophets to minister in challenging circumstances in order to bring the sins of Israel to light, 
And if God called and still calls others to go through far more painful circumstances than what we've been through, then I suppose he can use us in that way too. And I'm okay with that. Your circumstances may be far more challenging than what I've described here. Yet none of us may ever get to fully understand why God allows us to go through certain challenges in life. When life doesn't make a whole lot of sense, we're called to persevere in patience and obedience. And we need to look to the God who cares more for us than we can know. To understand who he is and what it means to be loved by him as father. As we are his children. Well, as the chapter ends, we discover what happens to Herod Agrippa. So verse 18 has the feel of more of a, meanwhile, back at the ranch, what was happening. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him. And he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. It was a common thing in those days where if a prisoner escaped, uh, they would be at the prison guards would be executed. And then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. And on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And the people shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The first century historian Josephus describes Agrippa's death as a result of a painful stomach condition, which lasted for five days before he died, because he refused to deflect the praises of the crowd and give credit to God. Notice the complete reversal of the church's situation in this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, Herod Agrippa is on a rampage. He's he's arresting and persecuting church leaders. And then by the end of the chapter, Herod is struck down and dies. The chapter opens with James dead, Peter imprisoned, and Herod triumphing. The chapter closes with Herod dead, Peter freed, and the word of God triumphing. We see this constant refrain of how this book, this chapter ends within the book of Acts. That through all of the triumphs and seeming tragedies of life, the word of God continues to spread and flourish. Nothing, not persecution or evil dictators, nothing can stop the movement of the Spirit of God or the spread of the Word of God. This is the power of God at work to overthrow hostile human plans. Human tyrants may be permitted to boast for a time, but they will not last. In the end, their empires will be completely destroyed. The destructive power of evil humanity is no match for the saving power of God. 
And we see time and time again in Scripture that those who oppose God will be judged. The proud will be brought low, and God always has the final word. And if this doesn't seem to be the case, then the last word has not been spoken yet. We see time and time again in Scripture that those who oppose God will be judged. That the proud will be brought low. That God always has the last word. And I want you to remember that in your life. That when life doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, we can often lose sight of who God is and what he's capable of. You know, one of the thing that, things that struck me as I was reading Acts 12 is the number of times that angels are mentioned, right? Did you notice that? That an angel rescues Peter, and when Peter goes to uh, the house church, they comment that it can't possibly be Peter, so it must be his angel, And at the end of the chapter, an angel strikes down Herod. There's a name uh, for God that's used in the Old Testament. It's often translated the Lord Almighty. Or some translations have it, the Lord of hosts, which is probably a better translation. Or the Lord of armies. Or as the message translates it, God of the angel armies. And that's kind of the idea Behind this phrase, this name is a reminder that God is the commander of legions of angels who serve him. And the most common occurrences for this name for God occur in the post-exilic prophets. And so after the community of Israel was in exile, uh, and they were released from exile, they were um, really a struggling community. They were struggling to rebuild their lives. They were this small, insignificant community in the midst of this vast Persian empire. And they had no army of their own. So from a human perspective, they were very vulnerable as a community. Uh, But these prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, uh, used this name for God, Lord of hosts, over and over again in their writings to encourage the people As they spoke their prophecies, they were in effect saying to the people, now remember, we serve the Lord of hosts. We serve a God who has legions of angels at his disposal at any moment. And so no matter how vulnerable our circumstances are, we serve the Lord of hosts. So as we close, I want you to consider this. That we live under the mysterious providence of God. And as we do that, we need to hold fast to who God is. That God is infinitely good, so he always wants what is best for us. And we need to trust in his goodness. But God is also infinitely wise, and so he always knows what is best for us. And we need to trust in his wisdom that his ways are so much higher and grander than our ways and his thoughts are so much higher and grander than our thoughts. We need to trust in his wisdom. But not only does God want what is best for us and know what is best for us, but because of his infinite power and sovereignty, he has the power to bring about in our lives what is best for us. So Lord, help us to walk by faith as we trust in your goodness, your wisdom, 
and your sovereignty and as we live under the mysterious providence of you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Gracious God, we honor you and we praise you this morning for who you are. We praise you because you are grander than we can ever imagine. That you are awesome in love and compassion. But you are also a God of justice that cares profoundly for those who are on the margins and those who are vulnerable. Lord, we know that you are a God uh, who, who gathers your children together into your arms like a mother does her children, and yet you are also a God of great power and authority. Lord, you are vast in your goodness. At the core of who you are, you are a good, good father. And you are wise beyond any comprehension that we can have. And Lord, you are powerful. And so you want what is best for us. You know what's best for us. And you have the power in our lives to bring that about. For those of us, Lord, in challenging circumstances this morning, I pray in particular. For Lord, we know that as a, as a loving father, you care profoundly for us. And Lord, some of us may be lost in that space of, of not knowing why we're going through what we're going or why we're suffering as we're suffering. And I have a few people in mind right now who I know have been in this space for a long time. And Lord, I pray that as a good, good father, you would surround uh, these people, these families with your love and your grace and your comfort. Lord, given the strength and the courage to, to take steps of faith and in obedience and in perseverance, uh, that sometimes all we can do in the morning, God, is just get up in the morning. And if, if that's what we have, then, Lord, we pray pray that you would honor that. Lord, I pray for those who are um, soaring high and we are experiencing the love and grace of God in profound ways in their life right now and they see that and they're experiencing that. Lord, I encourage uh, them. May they find encouragement in, in your grace in their lives today. And then for all of us who are somewhere in between, I, Lord, give us what we need to take steps of faith and obedience to you each and every day. And Lord, that means hearing from you and, and being receptive uh, to your voice so that we may hear what you're saying to us so that we can respond to you in obedience. So can you help us do that by your Spirit? That in our lives, Lord, we would be led by the Spirit of God. 
and directed by him in ways uh, that we can often see and experience and, and, uh, and, and experience your love and your grace in those moments each day. So Lord, this morning we are grateful for who you are and for all that you've done for us in Jesus. And it's in his precious and holy name that we do pray this morning. Amen.